on July 26, 1969, a guy named Dave Reaver was going along a jungle river, so it probably was super humid, in Vietnam near Cambodia. He and three of his Navy mates were patrolling a river, which was their job to do. All of a sudden, they found themselves face-to-face -face with an enemy weapons bunker. And then Dave Reaver remembered that the, the day before, they'd caught heavy fire along this little stretch of the river. And so he didn't know if anybody was in there or not, but he said, I'm going to throw something to give us some cover, make some smoke, make some noise, and let us get out of the kill zone here. So he reached back and he grabbed this white phosphorus hand grenade. He pulled the plug on it, and when he began to throw it, it blew up. When that white phosphorus hand grenade blew up, it burned off 40% of his skin and blew off 60 pounds of his body. He went blind in one eye, deaf in one ear, and miraculously, for some reason, he said he ab absolutely felt no pain. And he looked down in the water, not an exaggeration, fact, he saw his face float away in the water. They thought he was dead. The story goes on. It's amazing. And they got him again to the campsite with the medical doctors, and then they got him to Saigon for a while, and then they got him to Japan, and they kept working on him and working on him and working on him. And, and many, many surgeries had gone by until he was finally well enough to go back to the States. So he made it back to a military medical hospital in San Antonio, Texas. And he was far enough along that he wasn't in ICU at the moment, and he was sharing a room with somebody. Well, one day, of course, their families had been notified. They were now back stateside. And so not Dave Reaver, but his roommate, the door swung open, and in came the roommate's wife. She walked up to his, the foot of his bed and looked at him and said, you are embarrassing. I could never walk down the street with you. And she peeled off her wedding ring and threw it on the bed and walked out the door. Dave Reaver knew he was a mangled mess, and so he wondered what his bride would say. He was newly married before he went off to Vietnam. And it wasn't long before he found out the door opened, and in came Dave Reaver's 19-year-old wife, Brenda. Brenda walked up to the bed, moved around to the bedside, kissed him on one of the most burnt places of his body, on his face, and said, Welcome home, baby. He said, oh my goodness, when she said, welcome home, baby, her, his heart began to flutter because Davy was his, her pet name for him. Davy was a term of endearment. And so he remembered the situation with his roommate. He began to weep and cry. And he said, oh, Brenda, he said, I can never look good for you again. And Brenda said, with tenderness and compassion, oh, Davy, you were never that good looking anyway. And, and Brenda and Dave Reaver were married for 53 years, had a handful of kids and grandkids, maybe great-grandkids now. Sadly, Brenda passed away in January of this year. But Dave Reaver has been all over the world, literally all over the globe. He was in Columbus, Indiana back 10 or 12 years ago, or 15, time gets away. I had the privilege of seeing him. And uh, he traveled all over the world and told them of the goodness and kindness and graciousness of God. Now you think somebody that was burnt over 40% of his body, if you've ever seen Dave Reaver or heard his testimony, you realize that after many, 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 many surgeries, he's as good looking as he's gonna be and it's not pretty. Be 
because of, of that kind of destruction that happened in his body. But I want you to know that there is life and death in our words. Dave Reaver said he saw his roommate die that day, not physically, but emotionally and mentally, and that any little bit of hope that was flickering in his heart was totally extinguished that day. And in fact, of 13 of those people who came stateside, Dave Reaver was the only one who survived. The other 12 that came home with him uh, all died. Dave Reaver was the only survivor. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, my wife is amazing at being an encourager. If I've ever had a down moment, seriously, if I've ever had a down moment, I don't have a lot of them, but if I've ever had one, she will always come through with a word of faith, a word of courage, a word of encouragement. And they're not speeches. They're not grand and glorious speeches. I mean, she'll say things like this. Like she'll see that there's a heaviness on me and she'll say, hey, baby, we're going to make it. I go, that's all I needed to know. Yeah, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Or, hey, you know what? We're on the same team. We're in this thing together. We're going to overcome. I go, oh, yeah, okay, yes, 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 we are. We're going to overcome. Words of life. So thank you, honey, for your words of encouragement and your kindness. And we need to be people that what comes out of our mouth really matters. I was going to title this message, The Power of Words, but I thought, you know, I want to put some more emphasis on it. The tremendous power of our words. How they set the course for our life. The tremendous power of our words. Our words are critical. It's not just, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of important. No, they're critical. And so we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks talking about the power of our words in every way it comes into play in our lives. And it's so, so important. And this is not just a self-help message. I mean, I think it's uh, sad that the world will get a truth out of Scripture. They'll package it. They'll promote it. They'll write books about it. And then when you talk about it in church, they go, well, it's just a self-help message. Let me tell you this. The Word of God will always help your authentic, spiritual, born-again self. It will always help your born-again self. It will not be very kind to your selfish, narcissistic, carnal, fleshly self. In fact, it will try to kill that self. It wants to crush that self. So is it self-help? Yeah, for the true spirit uh, in us as believers, but not for our flesh. And so there's something really powerful in the Word of God. Now, I want to remind us of this scripture in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, be imitators of God as dear children. That you and I are to imitate God as dear children. Did you know that children like to, I'm talking smaller kids, kids like to mimic and imitate their parents. So be careful, parents. Especially at the little ages, more is caught than taught, they're watching, they're perceiving, they're, they're developing their character and their understanding of how you do life. So it's very important. Now, when they get a little older, I get it. You know, we all know this, you know, our, they get to the tween age years and they want to put some distance between us. You know, the kids want to put a little distance between us. My favorite story is in Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest told a story of a, of a, a dad driving his daughter and several of her friends to school one morning. And he was just singing along. Finally, the daughter said, Dad, would you be quiet? You're embarrassing me. That father was Billy Joel. 
So you start thinking, you know, he's probably wanting to say, oh, forgive me that my voice has brought you millions of dollars and the lap of luxury that you live in. How embarrassing that people spend hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars to come see me in concert. You know, I saw the other day that Billy Joel in COVID, when he had a concert, there's over 20,000 people that would attend. Now, he's not the new kid on the block. He's been at this for a long time and worth millions and millions of dollars. But I think it's interesting. Dad, you're embarrassing me. Okay, you know, the rest of the world wants to come hear me sing, but not my own daughter. So that, that does happen. But we're supposed to be like children as we want to mimic and imitate God. And so again, for the next few gatherings, we're going to talk about the words that come out of our mouth because God says they're so important. In prayer, in praise, in, in conversation with one another, in confession, and declaration, and proclamation, the words that come out of our mouths, and how important they are according to the scripture. Now, I've talked about this concerning other things, but I want you to know it's true about words as well. If any preacher gets up in any Christian church, regardless of what the denomination is, regardless of what flavor of Christianity it is, and they get up and say, we need to be more Christ-like, we need to be more like Jesus, we need to be more like Jesus in, in you know, love and and kindness, and we need to be more like Jesus in, in forgiveness, and we need to be more like Jesus in humility and servanthood. We need to be more like Jesus. Everybody will amen that. Everybody will say that's right, and rightfully so. We should be. But then if you start saying anything that hints at having some power, hey, we ought to pray for the sick like Jesus did. Well, now, come on. I mean, that's, that's Jesus, Savior, Son of God stuff. Well, how about we we believe that our words have power like Jesus did. Remember, he cursed a fig tree and it withered from the root. We're just going to believe our words. Ah, now, come on, we're not Jesus. What I want to say is, we're not Jesus. We're not the Savior of the world. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says that the earth is groaning. You know what it says it's groaning? It says it's waiting for and groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Even the earth is saying, let's, let's get at it, church. Let's get at it. Let's be sons and daughters of God. And so if we're saying, well, I don't think, I mean, we just need to love and forgive like Jesus. Okay, think about this. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not going to love and forgive like Jesus. Jesus was falsely accused, was brutally beaten, literally within an inch of his life, we would say, barely had life in him. The scripture declares that his visage, his appearance, was marred more than any man. He was so beaten, so that he was actually disfigured. He was brutally nailed to a cross, which was the Roman Empire's most heinous, horrible, capital punishment that was reserved for the worst of the worst. And that's the death Jesus got. And as they dropped him into the hole, and as he hovered over humanity, he said these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now I want to ask this. Can you forgive like that? You haven't forgiven the third grader that pulled your hair. And you're, you're 45 years old now. So how, how are you going to because we, we can only operate these things by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. But let's dare. Now, even if I said, wow, I don't know if I really could love like Jesus loved or forgive like Jesus forgive. We'll still church, teach in every church. It should be our goal. 
It should be what we strive for. It should be what we look for. It should be our ideal. We should be moving towards that. We would never say, you're, you're right, you can't, quit, stop, don't even try. And so why not just get crazy and say, how about we pray and believe like Jesus prayed and believe? How about we proclaim and declare like Jesus proclaimed and declared? How about we dare believe that the power of our words have power as God says they do? So when we look at God, because remember, I want you to get Ephesians 5.1 buried in your spirit somehow. I don't know if you have to write that down, if you have to, to read it every day, you have to post it on your steering wheel and put it on the bathroom mirror and on the refrigerator door. It's just a simple little verse. Be imitators of God as dear children. Now, the New Living Translation says, be imitators of God in everything you do because you are God's dear children. So we're supposed to imitate God in everything we do. So as we start examining God, we see right off the bat in Genesis chapter 1 that God is up to something. He's creating. And when we watch God creating, we notice this. God isn't thinking about things. It doesn't say that he's miming things. It doesn't say that he's, he's writing things. What is he doing in Genesis chapter 1? He's saying things. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Now, there's also something cool behind every one of those. It would say, and God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. Wouldn't you like to have some, and there was, following up your, you said? Amen. Well, we're, we're imitating God. We're practicing being like God. So that's his pattern. Well, speech holds the creative power of God. Speech holds the creative power of God. I'm just teaching what the Bible says. Now, if you and I say, that's too lofty for us, then we need to go up a level. Because this is what God says. In fact, next week we'll look at a thing in Isaiah where we think, well, we can't do this because... And then we're going to find out when we read it all in context, they say, we can't do this because we're ungodly. But once we become godly, we should be able to do some things because we're possessed by God. So speech holds the creative power of God. He modeled that for us. Jesus modeled it for us. Even to be saved, we activate speech. And so we see from the scriptures in Hebrews 11.3, Hebrews 11.3 says that we understand the worlds were framed. They were put together. They were they were created and structured planets, solar systems, galaxies by the word of God. Did you see that? By the word of God. So the things which are seen, they did not come from things which are visible. They came from God. God spoke them and they came into being. Then we see in Hebrews 1.3, the sun, he's talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And, and pay attention to this and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, I want to remind you, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God in everything you do. Hmm. We're seeing how God operates, and we're told to operate like God. We're to be like him. Now, we don't have a savior complex. We don't think that we're the savior of the world. We're just saying, as children, just like children, want to mimic their father, mimic their mother, we're supposed to have the same heart to want to mimic and copy and God and do the way things he does it. 
Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. From the fruit of, of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled, and with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. There's something powerful, life-giving, creative, sustaining about words, words that come out of our mouth. Words, they, they bless us, they prosper us, they fill us. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. I want to say this. We're not superstitious. For instance, let's say you believe in God for something. Because I see this in the Christian realm a lot. You believe in God for something. You're confessing his word. I, today I'm not ask, asking you just to confess any fleshly carnal desire you have, but the word. You're confessing the word. You're praying. You're trusting God. You put your hope in him. And then you have a meltdown one day. You've been trusting, praying, believing God for six months. Now, I know y'all never had a meltdown, but some people do. They have a meltdown. You get discouraged. You get demotivated. You get sad. You get frustrated. And then finally, for 30 seconds, you say, this isn't going to work. Nothing's ever changing. It's the way it's going to be forever. And you spew that out of your mouth. And immediately, there's something in your head that says, and I believe it's the enemy whispering in your ear. The Bible says we have an enemy of our soul, Satan, the devil. He whispers in your ear, you might as well quit. You might as well quit praying. You might as well quit believing. You might as well quit trusting because you just ruined it. You just trashed it all. It's never going to happen now. Now, I want you to think about this. You've been believing God, trusting God for six months, holding on to the word. And are we saying that that was, and that was nothing. That had no power. But those 30 seconds of doubt and unbelief, whoo, they're so powerful. It totally crushed and ruined everything you'd done for the last six months. No, it didn't. That's what the enemy wants to whisper in you because he wants you to stop doing it. He wants you to stop speaking life. He wants you to stop praying life. He wants you to stop believing for life. He wants you to stop proclaiming life. And so he said, you might as well just give up. But don't. What do you do in those situations? You shake it off. You say, okay, hey, you know, that was a bad moment. Uh, Lord, that's, you know that's not my heart. That's not where I'm heading. And you just start back fighting the good fight of faith. You just move right on. You go right on. You don't waste a day there. You don't waste a month there. You don't waste 10 minutes there. You just dust yourself off and go on. So we're not superstitious. Everybody has a bad moment. Even in James chapter 3, I, I love sometimes how the scripture just starts out with such words of encouragement. James chapter 3, verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. The Bible is very good at using a lot of adjectives and adverbs to be very descriptive descriptive. You know, it'd be one thing to say, ah, we all make mistakes, but no, we all make many mistakes. But it's true, isn't it? We all do make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongue, by the way, when it says control your tongue, it's talking about speech, it's talking about words. I mean, I'll, I'll have a little kid come up to me and say, can you do this with your tongue? I don't know, they can like make a statue out of it or something. I don't know how they do it. And I go, no, I cannot do that with my tongue. So it's not talking about can you twist your tongue this way, make your tongue do this and do this and that way? It's talking about the words that come out of your mouth. If you can control your tongue, if we could do that, we would be perfect. Now, I don't mind the translation perfect, but I like mature better. Because perfect, in our minds, mine and probably yours too, you think of flawless, something with no imperfections whatsoever. And so it gets to be something to say, I don't know how I could ever do that. But we do believe we could become mature. We may not ever be flawless. There may, we may not have in our act daily lives, perfect imperfection, but we can become mature. And so here it says we should become mature. 
And if we could become mature, it says, if we could control this tongue, then we could control every other part of our body. The most unruly thing in your body is your tongue, your mouth, the, the words that come out of it. So you got to watch that. This, and we're, we're reading the Bible, aren't we? We're talking about scripture here. We can control our bodies in every other way. When we put bits in the mouths of horses, even though they're huge animals, we can make them go where we want them to go. Or consider ships, for instance. Although they're so large and they're driven by such strong winds, they're actually directed by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Now I believe in this, these verses, the pilot is us. I know we might say, no, the pilot's God. I don't believe this verse, it's, it's us. I think we'll see that, or it's God, I believe it's us. We're the pilot of the ship of our life. Now, if you've ever been on, or at least seen, even if it's on TV, these cruise lines, I don't even know how they can make them so big. I understand to a small degree about buoyancy, but when I look at some of these ships, I go, why does that not just sink right down to the ground? You know, it weighs a gazillion tons, but, and I understand for those of you who are shipbuilders, the, the purpose and the reason behind why it doesn't, but it just boggles my mind. And if you would take the square footage and the mass of this big cruise liner, and you would look at the rudders on it, it's very, very small in comparison to the huge size of the ship. But wherever that rudder gets turned by the pilot, the ship will go. You're the pilot, your tongue is your rudder, and the ship is your life. Where do you want your life to go? Where do you want it to go? You're the pilot of your life. Then watch your rudder. Watch the rudder. This is what James is saying here. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Hmm. Now, if our tongue can direct the whole course of our life, and it could be set on fire, set on fire by hell, I'm just wondering, can we reverse the process? I believe we can reverse the process because of what James 3, 2 says. That if we can control our tongue, then we can change the direction of our life. But if we did read on to James 3, 8, it says no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. If that's the only Bible verse I had, I'd be stuck. But I got some more Bible. So do you. So I think about this and I go, okay. You know, the scripture says this, that in my flesh, apart from Jesus, in my flesh dwells no good thing. That's why when you say, I'm going to be right with, before God, but I don't care about Jesus, you're not going to, because in your flesh dwells no good thing. The Bible also tells us that apart from Christ, I can do, does anybody remember? Nothing. I can't do anything apart from Christ. But in Christ, I can do all things. So we got all this scripture to look at. So the linchpin to this is, are we in Christ? If we're not in Christ, then we can't do anything. 
really, the best we do is sin if we're not in Christ. But in Christ, we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we have all this scripture here to help us. And so we can't tame the tongue, but God can. We can't tame the tongue, but we can cooperate with God and allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit to tame our tongue. Now, regardless of what you believe about the Pentecostal experience, regardless of what you believe about a current day manifestation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues or whatever, I want to set all that aside for a second, okay? And I want us to know this. When Jesus came on the scene and was wrapping things up in Acts chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 2, he says, don't leave Jerusalem because tarry there until the Holy Spirit, the gift the Father has promised comes. And the gift the Father has promised, you're going to receive power after you receive that gift. And so in Acts chapter 2, they're all in the upper room, 120 of them. And the Holy Spirit moves in. Jesus has left the scene. and sent, In fact, Jesus says this, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another one like me. That's really a great translation. I'm going to send another one like me. He's going to come along beside you. He's going to help you. He's going to empower you. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to show you things to come. It's all kinds of stuff the Holy Spirit's going to do for us. So the Holy Spirit shows up with power. And guess what? The single thing Jesus deals with through the power of the Holy Spirit. Cloven tongues of fire come down and hover on everyone. Did you catch that? That's very important because some people think, well, you know, there's just certain things that God only wants to do with very special people, and I'm probably not one of those people. Or you can be on the flip side, you can think you're one of those people, and that's bad too. You know, God, God loves blessing the whole group, everyone, the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit has come and hovered on every one of them. And then the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. If you read that's capital S, it means Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit enabled them. What I'm trying to point out is this. What's the first thing Jesus dealt with in the power of the Holy Spirit? Our tongues, our speech, the things that come out of our mouth. He's dealing with that immediately. And if our tongue can be set on fire from hell, it can be set on fire from heaven. Acts chapter 2 says it can. The Holy Spirit enables them, empowers them to be able to speak differently, to be able to talk differently. Fire came down. Fire came down. And folks were set on fire from heaven. That's a good fire. James says your tongue can be set on fire by hell, but I want my tongue and you want your tongue set on fire by heaven, set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Our tongues, our speech, the words that come out of our mouth, they need to be set on fire by God. And our tongues, the power of hell off our tongues needs to be broken. The power of hell on our tongues as we pray, you say, uh, well, when you pray, it has to be spiritual. Oh, no, it doesn't. You can pray unspiritual. You can pray ungodly. You can pray all kinds of stuff. The, the couple of disciples decided they wanted to, hey, hey, Jesus, give us permission to pray this. Let's pray. The fire comes down on these people. We don't like them. They're not part of our group. Let's have fire come down and consume them. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. 
That was either the fleshly spirit or demonic spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And so you can pray wrong. You can praise wrong. You know, there's people, God said at one point that people are praising him. He said, they're praising me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So we want the Holy Spirit to ignite our prayers. We want the Holy Spirit to ignite our praise. We want the Holy Spirit to ignite, ignite our conversations with one another. I want to ask for a show of hands because everybody's done it. You could be born again, spirit-filled, heaven-bound, love the Lord Jesus, and I bet you've had some conversations with people that was set on fire from hell. I bet you have. And that needs to be crushed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our, our confessions before the Lord, our proclamations, our declarations, they need to be set on fire from the Holy Spirit. See, I can, I can make all kinds of declarations out of my flesh, all kinds of proclamations out of my flesh, but I don't want that. I want, I want to make proclamations out of the power of the Holy Spirit, out of the power of heaven. What's God saying? What I'm saying, apart from God, is nothingness, and it will pass away. It'll be gone. It'll have no meaning, no significance. But what God says, Jesus said this, my words, they are spirit and life. Jesus said there's not a single thing that I'm saying that's ever going to pass away. Wow. That's, that's what we want to say. We want to say things ignited on fire for God and for the Holy Spirit. So today I want to challenge us. Let's change the course of our whole life. James chapter 3 teaches us this, that if our tongue is set on fire of hell and we're the pilot and we decide I'm going to go this way and our tongue is set on fire of hell, the whole course of our life is heading this way. But if that's not a good way to head, then stop. If you don't know Jesus, make Jesus your Lord today. Realize you're the pilot. Please don't say, you know, if God wants to change the way I talk, he'll change it. Oh, God wants you to change the way you talk. And so he's given you scripture and instruction to change the way you talk. And so you start doing it. You start changing the way you talk. So you as your pilot, you change your rudder, and you start heading your life this way. And it's your choice. Now, if you've always talked death and doubt and unbelief, unless the Holy Spirit supernaturally delivers you from that, which he could do and does do on occasion, you're going to do by applying the word of God. You're going to... If you ever met people like this, it could be the most exciting thing possible, and they'll find something negative in it. Something negative. Doesn't matter. Somebody gave me a brand new car. Well, that car is going to cost you the insurance and, and plates. Okay, I just got given a brand new car, but can't find anything happy about that. I just got a brand new job, my dream job. Well, I hope it lasts for you. I knew somebody got their dream job. They got fired two weeks later. What? I mean, there, you, you have met people like that. You might be sitting beside somebody like that. They might be sitting beside somebody like that. Maybe you. We can change that. But I will tell you this from what we talked about before. There'll be a fight. We talked about slaying Goliath last week. There'll be a fight to move forward, and you'll have to keep redirecting the power of your tongues. Proverbs tells us we're going to eat our words. Since I read that, I've always wanted my words to be sweet. Hmm, because I want to eat them. Somebody ever says to me, you're going to eat those words. I say, bring it on, because my words are good. My words are, are full of life and health and hope and care and love and compassion and blessing. Very happy to eat my words. Mm -mm -mm, bring them on. You know, I'm going to eat my words. You need to think about that. You're going to eat the words that come out of your mouth. 
Your belly's going to be satisfied by those words. The harvest is going to come up from those words. So you want to plant some really good crops. If you plant bad crops and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pray for crop failure for that. And we're going to, I'm going to trust God for new crops here. So we're going to eat the words that come out of our mouth. So here's our focus for the week. We're going to imitate how God speaks. We're going to watch how God speaks. God will speak very firm and very direct at times, but it's always the, the end path for God is to always produce life. When he speaks, he's always trying to produce life. People may reject it. They may go their own way, but the goal is always to produce life. So imitate God and how we speak. The second thing is speak words that line up with Scripture. Speak words that line up with Scripture. Thy word is forever settled in heaven, O Lord. Not my word, thy word. So I want his word. I want to find his word. And by the way, the scripture's full of lots of life and blessing and hope and peace and joy. You'll find plenty of stuff in the word of God that you can speak and confess and trust God for. The third thing is keep your words on fire by the Holy Spirit. So you're, you're going to be watchful because I can promise you, because I've done this for years, even when I think I'm doing okay on my words and I preach something like this, I start, when it's preached, I start watching my words more closely. And I think, oh my goodness, I still got some growth to do. I still let some death come out of my mouth. I still let some doubt and unbelief come out of my mouth. I still, I, I still have to watch that. So we're always growing. We want to get better and better and better at this. And so when death comes out of your mouth, you stop and you say, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to confess life. If you've ever been praying for somebody, that's a cantankerous pagan sinner, and you've been praying for them to come to know Jesus, and you started praying for a year, and then it turned into five years, and then it turned into 10 years, and then it turned into 20 years, you'll have a tendency to go, that person ain't never going to know Jesus. Nope, stop. I'm going to say it is God's will that everyone should be saved and that everyone should come to repentance, and I'm going to keep confessing and speaking life over that person. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to follow the words of Jesus. It says we ought to always pray and not give up. So you keep stopping any words of death and just correct it. You don't beat yourself up. You don't worry about it for a day. You just stop and correct and change the course. You know what's happened? Your rudder started going the wrong direction. And your ship started turning. You go, no, nope, I'm going to get back on course. I'm going to set myself back. So just immediately make course corrections as you confess. And don't speak any word of death because you're keeping your words on fire by the Holy Spirit. And we don't speak words of death. There's our assignment for the rest of our life. And it just needs to kind of get to be part of who we are. You know, I, I, I don't mind if people say, that person exhausts me. They always say something nice. They always say something good. They always are so positive. I'm distressed and down. I try to get them distressed and down with me and they wouldn't join my party. You know, stop it, stop it, stop it. There was a lady in the town. She was always positive about everybody. It did not matter who you mentioned. It didn't matter if it was the worst person in town. She always had something nice to say about them over and over and over and over. And she loved the Lord. One day they said, you know what? We're so sick and tired of her having something nice to say about everybody. We're going we're gonna to trap her. And so they said, hey, so we got a question for you. I was just wondering, what do you think about the devil? They knew this was going to get her. She paused for a moment and said, you know what? He sure is a hard worker. Uh, <laughs> they could not get the gal to say anything negative. 
He sure is a hard worker. Don't speak any words of death. 